0: Close Force, the podcast that has never—and I mean never—met a box of chocolate that they didn't like. Uh, I also want to add that as I was writing the intro for this episode and thought about chocolate, I had to go out and dig into our refrigerator for a box of leftover from Christmas Trader Joe's like boozy truffles and have a couple of those just to get myself going. You know how it is. I love a mixed box of chocolates. Anyway, I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 154. And guess what? Maggie Green, the Halloween queen, and so much more, is back to help me wrap up our series about laundry. We'll talk about clothing storage, you know, hanging, folding, packing away things for later use, organizing our closets, all kinds of stuff there. After that, Maggie will share her expertise in seasonal wardrobe management, which sounds it sounds like it needs its whole task force to do. But actually, it's a really great way to organize your clothing and get maximum wear out of all of them. You might be doing this already. I know I was. Before all of that, we'll talk about the romantic industrial complex and Valentine's Day because this episode is coming out a few days before February 14th. And I do think there's something about Valentine's Day and the way it motivates people to shop that is indicative of an entire retail industry that looks for new ways to sell us stuff, but also the way shopping is connected to so many different internal and external forces in our lives. So we're going to talk about that today, too. Does that sound like a lot to discuss? It sure is. So you won't be hearing much of an intro and an outro from me. We're going to jump right into our conversation. And afterwards, I'll be sharing, this is very exciting. Are you ready? The theme for our very first audio essay series in 2023. All right. Let's get going. Well, Maggie, if people don't know you by now, will you please remind everyone who you are?
1: Absolutely. Hello, everyone. I am Maggie Green. That's green like the color with an E at the end. And I am the chief everything officer of Maggie Green Style, which I describe as an ethical micro-business on a mission to transform how you see yourself. So I work at the intersection of personal brand and style.
0: And people might also know you
1: as? Oh, the Halloween queen for one, (laughs) but also your fairy god thrifter, which is kind of a recent moniker and persona that I've adapted. um, And it feels very fitting to me. So
0: there you go. I love it. So you're back, even though you've just been on the past two episodes to talk about authoring's laundry. I almost I feel like I have a little bit of laundry burnout right now where I don't even want to do my laundry this week because I've been Same. in it. Right. But we you know, we had a few more things we wanted to talk to all of you about when it comes to clothing care. And we're going to talk about all of Maggie's best tips for prepping for the new season with your clothing and thinking about it strategically. But I thought we would get started because you don't call yourself the Valentine's queen, but maybe mm-hmm. you are. Valentine's Day is coming up in just a couple days, and I've never actually really talked about a uh, big Valentine on the pod. But I knew you were the person. <laughs> Hell yes! So tell me your thoughts on. The, are you the Valentine's queen? That doesn't even rhyme. The Valentine's. I I can't even think of a rhyme there. There you go.
1: I I don't. Hate it, necessarily. Um, but I certainly don't subscribe to it in a big way. like i've um I've been with my partner for eight years now, and so we kind of have our own like unique traditions and things that we do to celebrate. But looking back when I think about Valentine's Day, like there are a lot of not so pleasant memories like i I will never forget elementary school. and Valentine's Day was such a big deal. There were all these girls usually, right, who would get flowers sent to them either from their parents or from-
0: in elementary school? Yes,
1: as early as elementary school. And I just remember feeling like so covetous and jealous. And I just knew it was like, no no one is ever going to send me flowers at school. And I've, you know, it made me me feel bad. Um, I really do- well, I share with you the love of the aesthetic. Like, I love uh, hearts. I love the aesthetic. I love pink and the color red um, in combination. It's just, you can't go wrong. Red, pink, and hearts. It's beautiful. Um, I am passionate, an- passionately anti cut flowers, though. I would say, like, give me a live plant any day of the week over. Roses are my least favorite flower, so, like, that imagery is just, like, gross. Um, let's see what else comes to mind. Like, stereotypically Valentine's Day, I think of chocolates, which, mm. like, why... Why is that relegated to only one day of the year? Like, if you want to get me chocolates, get it on get get (laughs) them for me like on a random Tuesday, you know? Um, Right, right. Or just because you know, just made something that made you think of me. But yeah, generally, I think it's a racket. I the older I get, (laughs) like I can just and of course, like the more experience I've had in marketing too, I can smell it Uh. from a mile away. I was like. I know what you all are doing here and it is all Mm -hmm. about consumption and manipulation and urgency and like just stuff. And so, yeah, it's not my favorite, but my birthday falls exactly one week after. So I have that to look forward to. When I think of Valentine's Day, I also think of my birthday.
0: (laughs) Man, you were talking about people receiving flowers at school, which still blows my mind. It reminds me of one of the one of the lifelong disappointments I'm going to be carrying with me forever now, which is that when you have a summer birthday, you never get to bring cupcakes to school. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For the reason, this is one of those things that I am like well into adulthood. And I'm like, man, I'm always sad that I never got to bring cupcakes to school. It always just seems so fun.
1: Yeah, that's a bummer. A summer (laughs) birthday. I never thought about that.
0: Anyway, uh, I... I think find that when you ask people about Valentine's Day, it is a very, you get very extreme opinions here. And I think it's because either you are in, in it, like you just love it and you live for this day. Or you are like, I have had too many traumatic or disappointing Valentine's Days in my life. Uh, I care to avoid it. Right. And, uh. I did as a kid think it was kind of fun because often we would decorate boxes to get our little Valentine's in and it felt like getting mail, which I really loved. As an adult have found that on most Valentine's Day, I want to avoid it, Uh, especially if you're single, you feel like you should lock yourself in the (laughs) house and cry, right, because you don't get to participate in this day. At the same time, the aesthetic of Valentine's Day is really on point. (laughs) Pink and red, my favorite color combination. I love hearts. I am that person who in the past would go to Target the day after Valentine's Day and buy any like ceramics or dishware on clearance. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't do that anymore because I have plenty, but I do. I like love that shit. So. Like you said, you can smell the marketing a mile away. Uh, This big (laughs) Valentine's, the romance industrial complex. When When you think about it, the romance industrial complex feeds a lot of industries, right? Flowers, you touched on that. Like this is like, it's like Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. It's like, that's what keeps the flower industry going
1: maybe funerals, I guess. Funerals,
0: <laughs> I suppose. Maybe some births births yeah. here and there. Yeah. Lingerie, another one. Like, this is like their time. They're gearing up. Jewelry and diamonds. Uh, fragrance, mm. right? Weddings are part of the romance industrial complex. And sometimes I start to think about all, all of the money that gets spent on weddings every year. And I just, it's like thinking about the size of the universe. I just can't handle it. I have to stop thinking about it. There's also stuffed animals to think about, greeting cards, maybe even, although I do hate to admit this because I love a box of mixed chocolates, you know, big candy is really making a killing on the romance industrial complex because it's like nicer boxes of chocolates and, you know, candy gifts for adults. But it's also like kids give out candy at school, sort of like Halloween, right? There's tons of Valentine's Mm -hmm. Day candy, like there are those cinnamon hearts, have, did you ever like those? They come in like the bag, the little tiny, they're like made of wax and cinnamon flavoring as far as I can tell.
1: Yes, that texture is like unforgettable. I literally just like ran my tongue over the back of my teeth. Like, right. oh I my remember. God, yes,
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And you know, there are companies who are doing good ethical things within all of these industries. There are people who make thoughtful, ethical, long lasting, sustainable, inclusive lingerie. There are people who make slavery-free chocolate. There are people who are probably doing all the things right when it comes to flowers. But there are also a lot of much bigger, much worse companies who are really shoving this our way. You know, and I I did a lot of thinking about this. And I think a lot of the romance industrial complex, everything that we think Valentine's should be, really all this comes by a lot of us having these ideas of what rom- is romantic or even necessary in a relationship really jammed into our heads at an early age. You know, like, if you want to put on your tinfoil hat, uh, it, it probably starts with, like, princess Disney princess movies and Barbies, and it moves into romantic comedies and, you know, romance novels and even just, like, media depictions of, like, celebrity relationships, right?
1: It just got this flash of, like, in neon letters, heteronormativity, Like, it's all focused on this very specific relationship dynamic that's, like, so exclusive, right? It leaves a lot of people out.
0: It really does. And, like, honestly, a lot of the, I don't know, a lot of the, like, sort of romantic misconceptions that are channeled towards us from all of these different areas, actually, like, I think that now in 2023, we're all starting to realize that many of them in addition to being rooted in heteronormativity, also really actually a lot of toxic behaviors. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like that idea that like the the love worth having is the one that you have to really fight for, right? Uh, It seems to me like maybe it shouldn't be that hard that you have to convince someone to like you or that like true love means first you have to go through a whole lot of shit together and then you'll like find it. Or the person who treats you really badly will one day come around and then that means you belong together you know like that kind of stuff Ugh. which I would fall for all the time I would be like oh the way this person treats me really poorly that's just because they can't handle how they feel about me or that's just how it goes and over time they'll realize it I think all that stuff of right they have to like too. earn it
1: yeah like Ugh. all they need to do is get the perfect set of like dozen cut flowers and like the perfect piece of jewelry or lingerie to, like, make it all better, too. Like, that's a solution. I Yeah, it's gross.
0: Yeah, and it is, like, the people I found, not all of the people I found who really love Valentine's Day, it really often does come back to this sort of, like, transactional, like, that's the day that I get to feel loved or special via, like, gifts or dinner out or what have you. And. Mm. I do. There's like one part of me that appreciates holidays because it does remind us to spend time with people and, you know, tell people how we feel and just makes days more special, especially when you're, you know, an adult. You're like working all the time and things are stressful and you're tired and you're worried. And sometimes it's just nice to have something fun to look forward to. But I do think that Valentine's Day specifically also is just rooted in so much shopping Yeah. Um. that it. it i don't know it's it's all the things that are bad in fact wait i have a quote i'm gonna read to you that i think really sums it all up i found this 2012 article from the nation it's called this valentine's day occupy the romantic industrial complex you have to remember this is from 2012 this is a simpler time this is like occupy wall street era right this is like before trump was president before oh. we had you know Families separated at the border and children put in cages, and even more mass shootings and a pandemic, and January 6th, and all the millions of other bad things that have happened over the past few years. So, they were comparing it to Occupy Wall Street. I actually think this message feels even more resonant than it did then. Yeah. So, and basically, this whole article is about how making people feel bad about their relationships or their relationship status is a really big moneymaker in a gazillion different ways. Like Valentine's Day, for one, but like, you know, if you had prettier hair or wore more makeup or wore sexier clothes or had the right bra or any of these millions of other things that you can buy, then you would be happier, right? Like you will get love or be loved more or what have you. And it's like silly, but... Mm. I love this quote. It said, The romantic industrial complex makes people unhappy by pressuring them to spend lots of money and at the same time making it impossible for all but a small percentage to fulfill their duty, as in like their romantic duty. The remainder of folks, on the other hand, are unable to participate or are left with feelings of inadequacy. Whether people are coupled and can't afford the trappings of romance or are single and focusing their emotional energy on friends— the romantic industrial complex has nothing for them. Valentine's Day has become the ultimate symbol of the relationship between love and economic interests. And I was like, damn, uh, you're right. That it's word true.
1: duty is definitely triggering yes. in a way. I think about like traditional marriage vows and the word obey. Uh, it's like this weird obligatory. Of course, it's rooted in patriarchy, and I'm sure there's white supremacy in there, where there's one there's the other that mm-hmm. like, yeah, that definitely captures it. That was a good find
0: that was a really good find. Once again, it was a simpler time. We had time then to think about Valentine's Day now, mm-hmm. not as much, you know, and the reality is, even if we just say, "Okay, we're only going to look at this one slice of the romantic industrial complex. we're not going to talk about weddings or blood diamonds <laughs> or you know, all of the diet culture that can be a part of this. We're not going to get into that. We're really just going to talk about Valentine's Day. The reality is that lots of people have made lots of money from this so-called day of love. And it started back in the 1840s when a woman named Esther A. Howland began selling valentines in America in mass quantities. In fact, she was called the mother of the valentine. And they were, I mean, to be fair, they were really beautiful. Ribbons, lace, hearts. They were everything that we picture when we say vintage Valentine, right? Like all the trappings. This is when like Valentine's Day aesthetic begins. And I'm not mad about that part of it. You would be hard pressed to find a vintage Valentine that doesn't either have white people or very racist depictions of people of color on them. But the other side of it, like the lace and the colors, like that stuff is really lovely i um, following on that Cadbury introduced the heart-shaped box of chocolates in the 1860s. And I will say, I love a box of chocolates. I love a heart-shaped box of chocolates. I think what I like, and I'm not Forrest Gump, but I like the excitement and variety of a mixed box of candy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the little things, right?
1: <laughs> well, you get like burnt out if it's the same flavor for the whole box. I'm like, Switch it up a little bit. Give me a little bit of excitement.
0: Exactly. And you know, every once in a while you bite into one and you're like, oh, (laughs) I don't think I like this weird jam that's in this one or something. I I enjoy that, right? It's part of the fun. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. In 2018, so this was like a few years ago, obviously, but it was the best, most recent statistic I could find about heart-shaped chocolate. Adweek reported that 36 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolate are purchased every year a lot that's a lot um in 1907 hershey launched hershey kisses and apparently that was a big valentine's day candy now if someone gave that to me now i'd be like are you serious where's my c's Mm, (laughs) where's mm -hmm. my box of c's um but as of hershey just does not taste as good as it once did but i was like oh yeah i guess they are pretty adorable and romantic um of course, we have to talk about the conversational hearts, right? Oh, Another forget? one that is totally adorable, but really lackluster in the flavor department. Those appeared on the scene in 1866. Uh, by, they were invented by a guy named Daniel Chase. And he was kind of like, you know, Valentine's Day seems like it's a big cash cow. How do I create my own thing that no one else has? And so he invented these candies that had like flirty little sayings on them. The funniest part of the whole thing is that they actually weren't heart shaped for like forty more years. They were just discs. Oh wow! I know, right? Uh, those are still going strong. They are gross. Wait, do you like them? I don't want to hurt your feelings. Some people like gross things. <laughs> uh, um, if I remember
1: correctly, they have a bit of a wintergreen flavor, which isn't my favorite. The yeah, chalky they do. texture is weird but the verbiage yeah. is what really turns me off I, we can talk about that yeah. maybe later but
0: Oof, yeah <laughs> the verbiage is not great the flavor is not there honestly it's like couldn't you guys have upgraded them a little bit i don't know yeah. I, pe- I mean people still buy them like i bet if i went to target right now well they might be sold out because they're hot items. oh yeah
1: we're close yeah. to the hol- close enough to the holiday where they might be sold out that's funny they
0: might be yeah in 1907 hallmark began selling valentine's day postcards in fact this is what like began the hallmark empire that now Includes movies, right? Mm -hmm. Heteronormative (laughs) movies. Um, In 1913, they actually started making greeting cards because apparently the hot trend of postcards was over. What a short window. Um, And their cards are, they are really pretty, of course. Um, But the reality is that people buy a lot of stuff for Valentine's Day. It's more than cards. It's more than lingerie it's more than candy it's so many things it's dinners right new outfits to wear to go to the dinners it's you know perfume and it's probably sex toys and i don't know new sheets and nights at hotels and Mm -hmm. romantic weekends away and going to the movies it goes on and on and on right and just gifts in general that may not be valentine's day oriented but are gifts that you're giving someone for valentine's day Total spending for Valentine's Day is expected to reach almost $26 billion this year. And that's the second highest year on record. Apparently, per person, people will be spending $193 on Valentine's Day this year. And this is according to the National Retail Federation. And I got to tell you, their analysis is usually right on. So I believe it. Um, within that almost $26 billion, this one made me think of you actually. Uh, people are expected to spend $7 billion on gifts for their pets, their friends, their classmates, and their coworkers, with a third of people definitely planning on buying a gift for their pet. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. That made me think of you because I know your Christmas tradition. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like, there is so much waste involved in Valentine's Day and I I'm you know listen do what makes you happy once again I respect that holidays can sometimes just be a reminder to spend time with family or friends or tell someone that you love them or do something nice for them or just a reason to treat yourself to a nice dinner out or what have you like I think that's fine but as a career buyer Valentine's Day specifically is probably the most stressful holiday to buy for um and of course everyone buys for it right like you could probably go to old navy right now and they have a valentine's day assortment even if it's not very clear to you it's there and it's grouped together there's definitely red there's definitely pink there may be hearts there may not be but like everywhere i've worked in one way or another we bought for valentine's day and the thing about it is uh Valentine's Day is probably of all the holidays. Well, I'm not counting like St. Patrick's Day or even 4th of July, but of the gift giving holidays, right? That is the shortest selling window because most people aren't buying Valentine's Day stuff in January. It feels too soon, right? The holiday itself is only two weeks into the month and everything that you brought in for Valentine's Day is immediately obsolete and has like almost no value on the 15th of february like it's just how it goes so you have to be like okay so we have two weeks to sell this stuff and if we don't have it then people might not buy anything because that's the other thing about valentine's day february is kind of like a really crappy month for retail because you know christmas is over people bought a lot of stuff on sale in january like that's what january is for now i guess February comes, it's like not spring, right? You're not like probably going on any trips. Uh, It's winter. You're probably feeling kind of like over it, maybe a little seasonal depression. You're not wanting to hit the mall or buy a bunch of stuff. And Valentine's Day has been a great way and fast fashion has leaned into this as well to get people to buy stuff for themselves or others when they might not have otherwise. So even if you are a buyer in, like, the apparel space, it's like, oh, well, we probably should bring in some red dresses, some red tops, some red underwear, some red socks, something with hearts on it. Like, y- you just are required to do it. It's just, like, is what it is. It sucks. Ugh. Um, And then on February 15th, y- you sit down with your planner and you say, well, it is just, like, a red dress. Couldn't it live longer? then do we have to mark it down right now? You know, you play that game where you go style by style. Like, yeah, it has hearts, but aren't hearts kind of timeless? But the thing is, like, yes, I think hearts are timeless, but the average consumer is like, ew, is that from Valentine's Day? Mm -hmm. Like, that's just how human behavior is, right? So then you get into the more literal Valentine's Day things, right? Like the bags of candy, the actual Valentines, the decorations. I mean, like, Target has a huge section of this stuff, right? Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of places throw it out completely or they are like, everything's $1 right now, basically. And people come in and like hoard it and then never even use it anyway, you know, and it's depressing, you know, it
1: makes me think of Halloween. It's like similar, you know, with the short selling window. And then obviously November 1st comes around and like, but it is different because people will think ahead to the next year, whereas with Valentine's Day, I, I don't know. Tell tell me, right? You're from the industry, so I don't necessarily see that happening. Like it's it's different.
0: Christmas, you know, you get those people who will come in and buy decorations for next year, and they'll probably use them. Or you know, the, the classic cliche of like your aunt who goes and buys all the sale wrapping paper. She's going to use that, but no one's like, oh, these Valentines. I'm going to put them away until next year. It just like doesn't work that way. Um, and I think it's because people forget. Or people are like, eh, I might not be into Valentine's Day next year. I might not be in a relationship, you know? Like, it's almost like if you plan for next Valentine's Day, your whole life's going to fall apart. You don't want (laughs) to jinx it. I don't know. It's It's very strange. And it is just like, I feel like there's more and more of that stuff out there every year. Now, I was interested or surprised, I guess, to see that Valentine's Day spending was expected to be this record high this year because... If there is one good thing that came out of the pandemic, it's that people stopped buying Mm -hmm. so much seasonal merchandise. Um, And it really started the first year of the pandemic. Remember how it was all going to end by Easter? Right. Well, it didn't, as we know, right? At that time, I was living in Philadelphia. And if you were like, I'm going to brave the grocery store or go to Target or whatever, because we need cleaning supplies and cat litter and all these things, you'd go and like, the shelves were empty of cleaning supplies and cat litter or the other practical things you went to get. But there were like 40 aisles of Easter stuff on clearance because no one bought it because Easter was effectively canceled, right? And so stores were left with all of this stuff and they were like, okay, we can't do this just in case like the pandemic carries on through Halloween and Christmas. Like we're not gonna buy as much of that stuff and they didn't, right? So that was good. And then I think a lot of people kind of got in the habit of like, oh, I don't actually need to decorate my house for Easter. I don't need like a whole new set of dish towels for Christmas you know, like or sheets that are specific to Valentine's Day. I mean, saying these things out loud sounds really silly, but y- y'all know that there are seasonal dish towels, right? <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> right? Some people right? really yeah. go all out. Yeah, totally. Totally. I see them. Oh my God, Maggie, a couple of weeks ago, we went thrifting in San Antonio, which is like my favorite place to thrift now. And we went, the first thrift store we went into is huge. It like definitely used to be like a grocery store or something like that size. Whoa. Six aisles of Valentine's Day stuff.
1: I can't even like wrap my head I know, around that. and around you name lot, it we're like... talking
0: stuffed animals decorations clothing <gasps> linens books cards craft supplies i mean i could just go on and on it was like so much stuff and i was wow. like wow i know that there are people right now at home goods loading up their cart with new valentine's day stuff i just know it
1: and this was all, like, secondhand. Yeah. If, if only they knew places like that existed.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, that's the thing about Valentine's Day, right? There's a lot of waste associated with it. It really is, like, a shopping holiday, for lack of a better term. Mm. And it just, I don't know. At the same time, like, I'm going to give my husband a gift for valentine's day and we're going to go out for dinner the day after valentine's day because like why not just do something nice for each other but i'm also not like where's my diamond ring and we're buying on new clothes for it and i've got to decorate the house
1: i guess i should tell you that i got a dress this year with valentine's day in mind now i will not wear this dress only on valentine's day but it was like in my mind when i when I was looking at it, I'm like, I'm going to make this investment. The first time I style it will be Valentine's day. But like, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I love dressing up anyway. It's kind of any excuse to get a little bit fancy, but um, yeah, I have a, a pink sequin. It's like, a, it's got a sequin bodice and a tulle skirt. So
0: that sounds amazing. Very princessy,
1: very pink. And yeah. I'm excited.
0: I think that's going to be great. And, like, that's fine, right? I think that if you were like, this is only for wearing this Valentine's Day, and then after that, it just is going to sit in my closet forever, you know, that would be not good. I do think a lot of people do that. I think, you and I talked about this before, there is this, like, pressure that if you're going to participate in Valentine's Day, you kind of have to look and dress a certain way, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, it has to be, like, sexy or feminine. And... For some people, that's not really who you are. There are a lot of people who are going to go out for dinner on Valentine's Day feeling really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, wearing shoes that can't walk in because that's what they've been told they're supposed to do. Oh, my gosh. Or underwear that are, like, wildly uncomfortable.
1: I'm on that know? thing with combat boots, like, straight up. And I'll tell you, too, yeah. because I failed to mention, it is secondhand. I didn't go out and buy a new dress, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, you know, itchy fabrics and just like skin tight things and underwear that doesn't breathe. Yeah. Oh yeah. God yeah. shapewear. I didn't even think about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have to say that I don't think I ever went, did anything for Valentine's day before I was married because I just was like never in a relationship that anyway, you know, like, and that I would have felt comfortable being like, can we do something for Valentine's day? Mm. Um, And it's like, you know, for me and Dustin, it's like, we don't eat out very often or buy ourselves nice things very often. So, like, it, it's like, oh, it's kind of fun, right? Like, but I I would say that, you know, this pressure that you have to, like, invest in a whole new look and a new body and a new face so that you can go out for Valentine's Day. I mean, it's, it's I see it. It's visceral, mm. you know? Uh, I kind of, like don't like going out for dinner on valentine's day because i know i'm gonna see a lot of people being really uncomfortable
1: yeah i'm glad you mentioned you all are going the day after and like please don't put me in a crowded restaurant where like they have this dedicated menu for this special oh, night and it's like priced yeah. differently and there's just like couples awkwardly clumped together and ugh, yeah like i don't want <laughs> yeah any agreed th- any of that. agreed
0: no thank you yeah uh We couldn't get a reservation anyway, and we're going out for shabu shabu, which is not romantic at all. It's (laughs) just like lots of hot broth cooking on your table. It's very delicious though. Um, So yeah, that's that's my thoughts on Valentine's Day. But that said, like once again, it's nice to give people gifts. It's nice to have a special day. So like, I thought we could just like for a couple minutes like talk about the sort of slow gifting version of Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. How do we apply everything we know about slow gifting to Valentine's Day? So, for one, spend time together, have experiences (laughs) together.
1: The other side of that, too, is like we, you and I, we can't possibly make the same assumption that the Valentine industrial complex does. Like, not everyone has a partner or is interested in romance or like involved romantically on that level. Like, if Valentine's Day is about Love, let's say, right? Like, yeah, whether you're in a relationship or not, like, self love plays a role. This is totally an opportunity to celebrate that. Um, anyone that you love, right? Like, you were mentioning earlier, spending time with people that you care about, holidays are a great time to do that. Um, time is the first thing that comes to mind. Like,
0: I know, you know, like, yeah,
1: sitting down and just like having a conversation together with like no strings attached and no pressure and no agenda even, you know, like, it's yeah, just hang yeah. out. Um, That's a really great expression of love and it doesn't cost anything, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that is so important. And if you are looking just for a reason to care for yourself, mm-hmm. do something special with yourself. You can also be like, I don't care it's just another day and that's fine too but if you were like you know i work really hard all the time and i never take time for myself perhaps be your own valentine and do something nice for yourself whether that is you just lay on the couch all night and read books and order takeout because takeout's pretty splurgy Mm -hmm. these days you know or you i mean you know this is very cliche but you could like go to a spa you could go on a hike, you could say, "I'm taking myself on my own romantic weekend getaway. I mean to a place I've always wanted to go, you know, if you really <laughs>
1: want itchy non breathable sexy lace underwear, even just to like hang out in the house and you know, like go for it, sex toys, like whatever is your whatever thing, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, bubble bath.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if
0: you are dying for an expensive piece of jewelry, just buy it for yourself, yeah. You know, like whatever it is that's going to make you feel good, Um, because I do think that sometimes, like once again, it's really easy with all the things that we have to do to forget to just be nice to yourself sometimes, you know, and not in that capitalist self-care, like, have I got a whole bunch of skincare to sell you kind of way, but just like, what's a thing that makes you happy? take a day to do it. It doesn't have to be the 14th. It can be the 17th, like whatever. Yeah. But say like today's going to be my special day where I do all the things I like in one day. I used to do that a lot for myself before I was married, where I'd be like today, I'm only doing things I like all day long today. Mm-hmm. So I would like go out for coffee and then I would like go to the comic book store and I would walk around and watch people. And, you know, I would, go to the park and feed squirrels like whatever all the things that i just wanted to do in one day i'd eat ice cream and then take myself out for dinner and you know by the time i went home and went to bed i was just like wow i did all the things that make me happy in one day yeah so yeah just like a lot of different ways to think about valentine's day and we just wanted to touch on it a little bit because you know it is a retail holiday and it is a weird it's a day that can make people feel really depressed and it doesn't need to
1: i do have one more anecdote to share and this is from like. A couple in my life that I care about a lot my best friend and their husband um, every year they make them a, make their husband a heart-shaped <laughs> meatloaf which is like so yeah, I mean like before it's cooked it kind of looks interesting and in pink and red and afterwards it's got like it's just strange but it's so sweet And they do it every year. It's like this really sweet tradition that they share. And I just love it. I'm like, hell yeah. Give me a heart-shaped meatloaf. That is really sweet.
0: (laughs) So I have a heart-shaped casserole dish um it's pink and it's it's like a smaller size it's not like a big one but it's a perfect for like two or three people and Mm -hmm. it's from the martha stewart collection at macy's but i've had it for like many years now at this point it was like right after dustin and i got together i saw it at a macy's where we were (laughs) using the bathroom Oh, well, And we were like, oh, my God. And I was like, it's so expensive, though. It's like cast iron. And then he was like, what if you ordered it online and picked it up in store? I bet it will be cheaper. <laughs> so I literally, we went out of the Macy's so I could get better reception. I ordered it online and where I had a coupon and I saved $20 on it <laughs> and then went back in and picked it up. I almost wow. feel guilty about how much I gained that system. But Macy's works under a different financial model that I can't completely understand. So anyway often when i'm like oh we're gonna have like a special night together you know like we're just gonna hang out or we're gonna like rent a movie or i don't know we're just like hanging out tonight because and we're not like working we're gonna have time together i will Mm -hmm. make our dinner in that casserole but so it'll be something really like here's a really romantic vegetarian chicken pot pie (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) a really romantic enchilada casserole like that kind of stuff um so if you happen upon a heart shaped baking pan of any sort when you're thrifting which i do see them Mm -hmm. here and there i highly recommend i also like i'm a big fan of in general like it's unusual for us to be going out to dinner this year but i just was like really honestly i just wanted to go out and have a nice dinner because I don't do that very often and I was like fuck it we're going right Mm -hmm. but normally I really love to cook a special dinner on Valentine's Day just for fun and I usually like to make like a cake like a little cake a heart-shaped cake and you know like one of my go-tos usually, this is not a very romantic food at all, but I feel like it's very luxurious, is I like to make vegetable lasagna.
1: oh yum.
0: <laughs> um, or some other like favorite. And yeah, like we'll have dessert and like make fancy drinks at home. And I always just think, like, I don't really care much about Valentine's Day, but it's like nice to have an excuse to cook something fun. So that's another yes. way to look at it.
1: I wanna know if there are any listeners who have ever used a heart-shaped casserole dish, but like What I'm really curious about is like the different non-traditional dishes that they've made. Like a (laughs) heart-shaped meatloaf is one thing, right? The Mm -hmm. enchilada casserole. What other things can be made into a heart shape and enjoyed for Valentine's Day?
0: I'm going to tell you any sort of thing that is a variation on like a pot pie kind of thing, like a Mm -hmm. shepherd's pie is great in the heart-shaped casserole. Um, When I make a vegetarian chicken pot pie, I, instead of putting a top crust on it, I put mashed potatoes. And they kind of come oh. up over the heart. It's delicious. I'm like getting oh, kind of hungry as we're it. talking about this.
1: I know. It's almost dinner time here. I know, That's right?
0: funny. It's, uh, Also, like a lentil loaf, also great in a heart shaped pan. My secret mm. ingredient is barbecue sauce. Just putting that out there. Uh, but everything tastes better out of a heart shaped pan. Just saying. Everyone so needs cute. one. <laughs> Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed, vintage, or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Vino Vintage, based just outside of L.A. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at DylanPage.com and find us on Instagram at style. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage, online at highenergyvintage.com, and at markets in and around Boston. Fagavan Vintage DTLV is a vintage clothing, accessories, and decor reselling business based in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. Not only do we sell in Las Vegas, but we're also located throughout resale markets in San Francisco, as well as at a curated boutique called Lux and Ivy located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jessica, the founder and owner of Vagabond Vintage DTLV, recently opened the first IRL location located in the Arts District of downtown Las Vegas on August 5th. The shop has a strong emphasis on 60s and 70s garments, single-stitch tees, and dreamy loungewear. Follow them on Instagram at Vagabond Vintage DTLV and keep an eye out for their website coming fall of 2022. Um, All right, so that's Valentine's Day. But we're really here. We're like trying to tie up all our loose ends with the laundry sodes and also just talk about how you can transition, get ready for the weather transition, the seasonal transition without shopping till you drop. Because naturally, which we'll talk about this a little bit more, any minute now, basically probably on February 15th, you're going to start getting emails about how it's time to think differently. It's time for a bunch of shopping because spring is here. Yep. After we finished the laundry, so it's three hours of conversation about laundry, Maggie was like, oh no, we forgot something. We forgot to talk about storing your clothes, hanging, folding, that kind of thing. And I was like, dang it, how did we miss that (laughs) after three hours of talking, right? So we thought we would just touch on that a little bit, because actually, like, how you store your clothing is a really big deal when it comes to extending its life. And this is another area where I have learned lessons the extremely hard way. Um, You know, when you're like, especially apartment living, you're jamming stuff wherever you can get it, right? Yeah. So, so I think one thing is that there are some people out there who ha- are of the mind that everything should be hung or everything should be folded. Like my husband, he folds everything. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I know, you should be folding a blazer, you know? Um mm. But other people, I had a roommate once, Nate, lovely guy, had a huge collection of t-shirts and he hung them all. They were all hanging. And he said, I just like looking at them hanging there. And I was like, that's fair enough. But you know what I uh-huh. learned? You shouldn't really hang your t-shirts because it stretches them out. Did you know that?
1: It, it does. There's actually, um in some of my notes, I was thinking about that, like you get that weird stretched out bit in the shoulder. Yeah. You know, in the neck, you have to like stretch it to get the hanger in. Um, My partner, it's funny you were talking about your roommate. My partner hangs all of his t-shirts as well. Um, But he's also colorblind. So having them in the drawers kind Mm. of um, reduces visibility. So having them hanging up is like... It helps with his disability, being able to like access things.
0: That makes sense. So let's start with like stuff you should hang or, I mean, I hate to say you should always hang, but you should try to hang as often as possible. How have we say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of those is dresses. And I haven't actually known anybody who's folded dresses. But to be fair, I have been that person who's like, oh, man, I'm out of empty hangers. I guess I'll fold the dress and jam it in a drawer. And you know what happens? I never wear it. I totally forget about it. Or when I decide to wear it, it's like the most gnarly wrinkly mess ever that I'm like, "Oh, I guess I won't wear it now either." <laughs> so, I, I don't do think there's,
1: I don't think there's any dresses in my collection apart from maybe like a knit like a jersey that feels like a a t-shirt sure Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah um same thing goes for skirts and i i am gonna confess that i i have folded my share of skirts i don't really i think at this point i have like maybe three skirts but there was definitely a time and i remember it was like probably the period between 2010 and 2015 where i was like really into skirts skirts and t-shirts weren't together and mm. I had a lot of maxi skirts and I, it's like I knew that there were there you could get pants, you know, or as they call them in the industry, bottom hangers to hang your skirt. I mean, I knew that cuz I'd worked retail for a long time, but mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's just so expensive to get hangers. So I would just fold them and stack them on a shelf in my closet. And you know what? They I was just always super wrinkly. Like, I don't really care. It, If you see me out in the wild, most of the time I'm going to be really wrinkly and I just don't care that much. But (laughs) I know that that is something that other people feel very uncomfortable with, like, a wrinkly outfit. So hang your skirts.
1: Yes. um, So you mentioned bottom hangers. I don't think I have ever heard that term. But, of course, I've not worked in retail. I've owned many a bottom hanger and didn't realize that's what it was called.
0: I think normal people call them pants hangers. (laughs)
1: Normal people. Yeah. So... Pants hangers work great as skirt hangers, but there's also this really cool thing. I think it's called a skirt hanger. It's um, pretty heavy duty metal, and it has these little um, prong kind of uh, bars that like lock in. You can unlock them and then reposition them, but it's like it's a stack of five or six of these mm, bars, yes. so you can hang multiple skirts on the singular hanger it is amazing i don't know i think the one i have is like a hand-me-down from my mom i have no idea where it came from but i was like this is freaking genius
0: it really is i used to look at those and also the shoe organizers that go over the back of your door those two things i was like when i have those that's how i will know i'm a sophisticated adult
1: Oh, it's peak organization. It's like you have your life together. Everything, yeah, your shit is figured out.
0: Yeah. Totally, totally. I know what you mean. You know, I also say that on the subject of bottom hangers, that sometimes they are actually the best option for hanging certain tops and dresses. So Mm -hmm. I wear a lot of dresses that have puff sleeves. And often that means there's like, you know, that elastic around the cuff. You know, if it's a short sleeve, puff sleeve top, it's way better to actually hang the bodice of the dress using the pants hanger than to use like put the puff sleeves on the regular hanger because the weight of the dress inevitably will stretch out that elastic and the puff sleeves. So you don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a lot of bottom hangers in my life now. I crossed a point point day, one day where I was like, maybe... I don't want to be wrinkly all the time (laughs) or like destroy clothes because I'm rolling them up or stuffing them in drawers or, you know, these like the hack about the dresses. I actually learned from a Facebook group for people who are big fans of Selkie. I was like, oh, my God, why doesn't why aren't we taught this stuff? This is amazing. You're right. These should be on bottom hangers. Also, if you have like dresses that have like a lot of smocking in the bodice or like the you know, another kind of dress that I love, or like the, the straps that you tie. Also, once again, hanging on a bottom hanger, clip it, mm-hmm. and you're never going to worry about it falling on the floor, you know, and then getting oh, lost, gosh, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh they're not just for slacks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, But also you should hang flowy garments, linen, things that are linen are going to actually like Sometimes that weight of the clothing working, like the weight of the clothing hanging, the gravity there works against you as in like stretching out sleeves and stuff. Other times it works in your favor because it actually pulls out the wrinkles. And with linen, that's a really great example.
1: I have literally got a linen blend three-piece suit just out of reach off, you know, um, in my closet area right now. I'm like touching it. And it has been hanging on these hangers for Probably two months and it looks beautiful. Whereas if I had folded it or, you know, stored it in some other way, it would be like just totally trash, wrinkly.
0: Yeah. Hanging is kind of magical. I'll tell you that, you know, I travel a lot for work. And if I'm going to be there for more than one day, the first thing I do when I get into the hotel is I take all my clothes out of my suitcase and hang them.
1: So smart. It
0: makes you feel... Like, I don't know, like this is, I'm ready, you know? Mm -hmm. And because everything looks terrible when you take it out of a suitcase. It's just like the rule, just how it goes. You know, I've tried rolling, I've tried compression bags, I've tried all these different ways of folding and packing. And ultimately everything is kind of just needs to hang when you get to where you're going and it will look fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, if you stay in a hotel more than one night, hang up your clothes. Um, You should always hang coats. That one probably seems like pretty obvious, but I'm just going to say I know some non coat hangers in my life, you know, who are rolling Ooh. up coat coats or folding them. Um, slacks, for lack of a better term, I, that's my grandma's term for pants that aren't jeans. What do you call have? Them? You
1: heard the, have you heard the term hard pants as no. opposed to soft? Okay, pants? wait, tell me. <laughs> so soft pants is like it's pan- pandemic chic right like yoga pants okay, athleisure okay. sweatpants so this like return to work return to office kind of movement now that things have are you know gotten a little bit safer this term hard pants <laughs> has emerged like <laughs> we don't want to go back to hard pants we've been in pj pants and sweatpants for three years <laughs> like what are these hard pants yeah
0: i feel that i get it i agree <laughs> down with hard pants up with soft pants um mm-hmm. so i guess you the i would be talking about hard pants for hanging although yep. if you want to hang your sweatpants more power to you i think that's really fancy of you um and probably they could get wrinkly anyway um <laughs> Okay. You added something here about, about sequined or embellished clothing, which I think is really smart.
1: Yeah. Whether it's like a blouse or a shirt or a skirt or whatever, I would recommend that you hang them inside out, uh, particularly so that they don't like snag, get snagged on other so items. So smart. Yeah.
0: Because that is real. Or if you have a lot of clothes that are tool. Tulle- Mm -hmm. Like, be strategic about where you hang that stuff. That's something I've learned the hard way. I actually had this dress that was just, like, layers of tulle. And it just ended up in my closet next to a coat with a zipper. And it was like, I felt like I was doing surgery. Like, I had tweezers, like, trying to separate the two. You know, you're in there, you're shoving things around, you know, stuff happens. There are also things that you should probably fold um and how you choose to fold them i mean i have very strong thoughts on this i feel like everybody has their own special folds mine is i'm gonna be really honest uh comes from many years of folding countless numbers of t-shirts at urban outfitters oh i can picture <laughs> it like a retail person yeah. yeah and i can do it without a board it's like a drop fold um and then sometimes maybe i'll fold it in half from there but like i My mom always had a really specific way about how she wanted towels folded. I'm
1: the same way.
0: Okay, and I, I do that now. And when I see, like, in the rare situation where Dustin is folding the towels, I'm like, oh, I really don't like that. Like, that's not how towels are supposed to look. I can't explain it. Anyway, I refold
1: them. Uh, I'm like, thank you, Scott, for doing the laundry. And I'm just going to refold <laughs> these towels so they fit in the cabinet. I just
0: can't believe you just folded them in half and in half and then in half again. When it's really like half and then thirds. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, how you want to fold this up to you. But everyone says, including Martha Stewart, so you know it's real, that you should always fold t-shirts. Unless you obviously have extenuating circumstances, like with your partner, that makes perfect sense to me to hang them. But in general, it's best to fold them because it keeps their shape. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bulky sweaters. I have, I don't have a lot of sweaters. I'm not really much of a sweater person because they're itchy. They make me hot. I'd rather wear 10 layers of clothes than one warm sweater. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. Uh, But I have a few sweaters that I have inadvertently hung, and suddenly they're, like, five times the size they were before.
1: Yeah, like, all long, <laughs> like a noodle hanging on there. Way
0: long. <laughs> yeah, like, noodle arms. They always get noodly arms, right? Yep. Um, Or, like, they get pulled up in the shoulders, and you're like, what is going? Is this, like, a puff sleeve now, kind of, but it's not. That's
1: what I was talking about uh, with the t-shirts. It's the damn shape of the hanger and the weight of the yeah, garment on it. Yeah. It's,
0: like, these little
1: Pinch marks in the short. It's just, it's so annoying. Yes.
0: It's really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. And you were saying that, like, really, you shouldn't hang even a cardigan, right? Yeah. The
1: same thing will happen. Like, I would say, like, the folding is not
0: limited to
1: bulky sweaters. I would say any sweater, really, like any cardigan, any, like, knit like that, Um, because it's going to mess with the shape. It's going to stretch out the shoulders if you put it on a hanger. So I I roll them up like Marie Kondo. I can fit way more in this limited space that I have by rolling them. It does help cut down on wrinkles. Although the same is not necessarily true when it comes to a suitcase environment as you shared
0: <laughs> <laughs> somehow it's like magical like little gremlins get into your suitcase and like crinkle everything oh up. yeah because i i do like when i pack i still i use like compression bags and i roll everything like i fold and roll because that's how you get more stuff into your suitcase mm-hmm. listen i have tried all of the ways yeah. to pack and like that's that's my technique and i'm sticking with it but i no matter what, no matter how hard you try, everything comes out real weird. I think it has something to do with the pressure changes on airplanes or something. I don't know. (laughs) But it always, I'm like, what? Some kind of science. You are a shell of yourself when I unpack. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I, you're actually inspiring me to, because I do hang my cardigans, but now that we're talking about it, I'm like, what am I doing? You're right. I should be folding them. Yeah. Or rolling them so they take up less space. So you're really inspiring me. Another thing you're not really supposed to hang is active wear. And at first I was like, wouldn't, who would be hanging their leggings? But then I was like, no, they would be. Cause you know what? You go to the store and sometimes the leggings are hanging. Mm-hmm. Don't hang. Like the thing about anything that has stretch to it, the sheer existence of gravity will make it stretch out. Even if you're like, what? It's only going to hang there for a day. I'm telling you, the weight of a garment is it. It makes it the fibers stretch out.
1: I'm having so, flashbacks to our laundry two part episode two. Active wear is like predisposed to certain smells, especially if you're like really active and it's like your go to workout garment or set of garments. Like, I don't know if I would necessarily want to hang them next to. Like my blazers and my dresses, and I don't know, like a contamination (laughs) factor or something. I don't know.
0: It's very true. You know, I used to do a lot of hot yoga where, like, you know, you leave and your clothes are like soaked, right? And even though I would wash them immediately, they always had this smell that I found kind of comforting. I was like, oh, I identify this smell with, you know, going to yoga class and feeling really great afterwards. Mm. But it is not a smell that I maybe would want to have at work, you know, or on um, my really sexy enchilada casserole in a heart shaped date, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so another thing, like, and this is kind of on the subject of stretchy clothes, is jeans. Because once again, odds are very high that your jeans have stretched to them, that they have elastane fibers, right? Like it's a really you have to work really hard. To find jeans that have no stretch in them, yes, as in this day and age, right? And unfortunately, once again, jeans are really heavy. So what's going to happen is the weight of the jeans are going to start to stretch those fibers, often kind of permanently, kind of from the top down. So you could end up with like weird sort of like baggy thighs or losing the shape in the waist or the butt, and you know, and it's just like over time, it kind of spreads downward. I mean, also laundering them a lot does that, and. The elastane fibers in general are way more delicate than we give them credit for. And of course, it's ironic. It's the same with a lot of synthetic clothing that it like is delicate, yet will live in the landfill for centuries. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was I think it was last year, approximately 9 million people. Sent me this image (laughs) of, I'm sure you've seen it, of the jeans that had been like left outside to decay. And all that was left of them was the plastic elastane fibers. Oh my God. And it was creepy. It was creepy. Uh, That's real, right? And so you know, I understand why stretchy jeans are better, especially because hard pants are hard, make them a little easier, right? Um, And they fit better. And you know, they make you feel better just in general. I get totally get it. Jeans are really hard. That's why I don't wear them. Because even stretchy jeans stress me out. Mm. But either too hard for me, I guess. I, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're team
1: soft pants.
0: <laughs> team soft pants. The reality is like, At this point, I guess I would say that like elastane fibers in jeans almost feel like a necessary evil. So rather than saying like, oh, I can't wear jeans or I feel bad for wearing jeans, just make your jeans last longer Mm -hmm. by, you know, we talked a lot about laundry care for jeans in the last episode. If you haven't heard that, go listen to it. But also just like, don't hang your jeans up, right? There are all these little things you can do to make them last longer. So you don't have to deal with the unsurmountable guilt of wearing stretchy jeans. Have you ever seen,
1: like, whether it's stretch or rigid denim, if you hang up a pair of jeans and, like, maybe you haven't worn them for a while. I think we talked about, um, like, sun bleaching in the laundry episode. But, like, you can see some discoloration, like, where the hanger was. And there's actually, like, a physical change in the fibers that, like you said, can be permanent. But it's, like, visible. Before you even put them on, there's, like this worn out line from the pressure of the hanger we don't want that yeah (laughs)
0: jeans jeans are so interesting can i just say like they they have this reputation as being like really i don't know like rugged like you know tough Mm -hmm. fabric that should last forever but like the color specifically on them is like is doing a dance basically at all times. And I read and as we were working on our laundry episode, so many different articles about all of the different ways you can extend the life of your denim and how it's specifically, you know, the issues with preserving your denim are they they come in two categories. One is the elastane fibers that we were talking about and like making sure that they don't break or get permanently stretched out, but the other one is the color. Mm-hmm. And how the color will kind of move back and forth. And I actually was like, huh, that's why all of my t-shirts and stuff had a weird color. when I would wash them with my jeans, like in college, you know, because I would do it all in one load. I was trying to save money. It was because just a little bit of color was transferring every time. Not a lot, not enough to be like, oh, this whole load is ruined, but like a white shirt might just look a little tiny bit dingy. Right. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I read that I was just like, wow, if you need a way to illustrate in which you have to be more careful with your jeans than you think is that if you dry them in the dryer, which is highly unadvised, but I know that some jeans kind of have to be to regain their shape, which we talked about, uh you should get them out of the lawn, the dryer immediately after the cycle is running because even just the way they're laying in the dryer may cause lines to form in the color oh, I've much seen like that. what you were saying with the hanger yep. yeah so interesting um once again team soft pants over here <laughs> you know <laughs> you know another thing that i have learned the very hard way in fact one of the last places we've lived in the past few years we lived in this townhouse in philly and uh The basement, I guess it was a row house. Townhouse sounds way fancier. It was a row house and had a basement, but the basement wasn't as dry as you might think. And a lot of our clothes got moldy down there. Now, it wasn't wet down there. You know what I mean? It just had just enough humidity for clothes that were being stored down there to start growing mold on them.
1: It doesn't take much.
0: It doesn't take much like be really careful about where and how you're storing clothing. Like, you know, I grew up on the East Coast, Uh, you know, you've got hot summers, very cold winters. And so I am very much the person who's like, okay, it's time to pack away my summer clothes and get out my fall clothes and vice versa. And I actually love that tradition so much, by the way, Mm. Uh, even in L.A., where it was kind of the same weather all the time, I'd be like, hmm time to pack away my winter clothes and it was like one box but then when it was time to pull it back out in like october it was like oh my god all these new clothes yes you know and it felt like fun like i was marking something some time there right uh be really careful about what you're storing and like if you are storing things in a basement or an attic unfortunately you probably need to put it in a plastic container
1: yep something airtight watertight
0: No cardboard boxes, which is what we did in Philadelphia. We lost a lot of stuff because the cardboard boxes themselves sort of, I don't know, they disintegrated into this other substance that was (laughs) neither solid nor liquid. It was just in between, you know? They're they're porous. (laughs) They
1: like swell
0: up and suck up all that moisture and just
1: like disintegrate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have ruined shoes, bags, clothes by not properly sealing them up. And you know, I I'm, I'm not a huge fan of plastic as you all know, but like a nice big airtight plastic tub for your winter clothes or your summer clothes is 20 dollars well spent.
1: Oh yeah, you're going to hear me hear me talk about that a little bit um, in kind of our final segment.
0: Ooh, they, I can't they, wait. They
1: last forever, right? Take care of them. They're reusable um lots of different purposes but yeah especially for clothing storage you want to airtight and watertight
0: totally spend the money i actually i'm not telling you all to go join costco but my favorite clothing storage containers are from costco they are enormous they're probably like five feet long and they're black with yellow lids and if you ever see (gasps) anybody with them they definitely got them at costco Yes. Yeah. I think I have two. Yeah, they're they're yeah, bad. Like and they're tough as mm-hmm. shit. Yes. Yeah. Like one fell off of our moving truck, and it like n- everything was fine.
1: Just like bounced up practically, <laughs> like, right? It probably left a dent <laughs> yep. in the
0: road or something. Because those uh-huh. things are like the tanks of of storage, yeah. and they're not expensive. Like you know, we bought like five, like I don't know, eight years ago, and we're still using them. So, and they're mm-hmm. huge. Um. So yep. I. I'd highly recommend just doing that because I definitely for a long time would try to store stuff in cardboard boxes or garbage bags or just plastic bags or whatever I had lying around. I definitely would be like, oh, I'm just going to store it in this vintage suitcase that I thrifted. Nope, nope, and nope. Everything got (laughs) moist, mildewy, or got moths. That happened once. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the idea is to like extend the life of your stuff. So sometimes that means a little bit of an investment or just like a little bit more of I don't know, like strategy.
1: Yeah, aw- awareness. Like, if you know there's humidity in an area, there are ways to like mitigate that. Um, if you're not doing dehumidifying because we're trying to conserve energy or whatever, like, yeah, go ahead and go with the the rubbermaid tote or whatever. Yes, um, it'll save you a lot of heartache and money and time in repairing your garments later down the road. Yeah,
0: totally, totally. Especially if you have a lot of like, I don't know, if you have a very thoughtful wardrobe, you probably have an attachment to the things in it, right? It took you a long time to find the perfect secondhand leather jacket, the perfect velvet blazer, the dress that you'd always been dreaming of. You know, like I recently- I found this is like so silly, but there was this dress that caught my eye about two years ago. It was from Lisa Says Gah, and it's sort of a play on the famous Princess Diana black sheep sweater that had like all white oh. sheep, but like one black sheep. And so this is like, they call it the black sheep dress, and it just was black and white sheep all over it. And I was like, man, I really want that dress. I'm going to play the long game, and someday I will find it secondhand. And what do you know? Yeah. Found it last week. And I was like, this. Is my precious, you know, like uh, <laughs> I don't touch it unless your hands are clean, that kind of thing. Um, and so, that's like, that's what I call my pieces too. I'm like, precious. Right. Because like, you waited <laughs> so long or you looked so long or you were like, I'll never find a blazer that can contain these bosoms. And then you do. <laughs> and you're like, okay, no one, we must do everything we can to protect this blazer, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yes. So, anyway, I would just say, like, you care about these things, take good care of them. If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank casts or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass and a website will be launched soon at blankcast.com. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at wear_st. Dot Evans. That's where St. Evans Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl, or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love, and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com wear a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnic Wear in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnic Wear recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity, future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute little Ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme, like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. Desiree works with local artisans and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The pewter thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the eternal city. Discover more on Instagram at the pewter thimble. So that's a great transition into what Maggie's here to teach us today, because Maggie helps a lot of people make better choices about their wardrobe and be more thoughtful, Mm -hmm. right? And this, I'm telling you, February 15th, you're going to start getting emails trying to sell you sandals, swimwear, shorts, clothes that you probably can't even wear yet. And it's all sold to you with this conceit that anything you wore last spring or summer, you cannot wear this year for reasons we don't understand. Because as I was telling Maggie when we were prepping for this episode, I was looking at a lot of the like, spring fashion trends or early spring collections that people were delivering. And I was like, it's literally the same clothes from last year and the year before that and the year before that and so on. Yep, Yeah. So you don't need to go buy a bunch of clothes, um, but you can still be excited about the season change. So Maggie, tell us, tell us what your advice to us is.
1: Well, so before I get into tips and context, I just, I want to share something personal about me and my own wardrobe um okay anyone who listened to the laundry episode will remember Tracy she actually came to my house one time and saw my space where I have clothing storage it's also my workspace and like makeshift studio and the look on her face and what she said kind of surprised me she's like this is it I thought there would be more than this so the context (laughs) behind that is like the the clothing that is out and accessible to me is only that which is going to be worn over the next several months for this current season so i have long-term storage of you know like well right now it's my spring summer stuff which i'll tell you all about Mm -hmm. that process but one thing i don't think i've ever said out loud publicly and amanda i trust you with this listeners hold it dear (laughs) i I'm so intimately familiar with my wardrobe down to every sock, every pair of underwear. Like if I let myself just close my eyes, I could literally picture in my mind and kind of account for every piece. It's like this very close, intentional, deliberate relationship. So yes, I mean, there are many pieces that I treasure. Of course, I want to take care of them. There are pieces that I have had for years and years, and many more that I want to keep until I die. Right, like bury me in this shit. So
0: clothes, right, really totally are important to me.
1: So we're talking about climate control and like being aware of the elements when you're talking about storing your things. Weather plays a huge role in deciding like what to wear and what clothes are important at what point, and that's really what I mean by this kind of concept of seasonal. It's not mm-hmm. what the retail industry tells you is seasonal. <laughs> it's not based on the calendar. If there's any indication, it's literally the weather, right? So, yeah, you know, just for context, would you wear a parka in summertime or a bikini in wintertime? Probably not. Right. But it also depends. It depends on where you live, what the climate is like, what the humidity level is like, all of those things. I, again, for personal context, I've lived in Florida, which is like really hot, really fucking humid, like up to 100% humidity. Um, I've lived in Canada, eastern Canada, southeastern Canada, where it was very cold and very damp at times. I've lived in Kentucky, which is, I think of all the places I've lived, it might have the most kind of traditional four-season calendar kind of climate. Um, Definitely a distinct Mm. spring, summer, fall, and winter. Very high humidity as well. It's in the South. I've lived in the high desert, like on the border of Mexico, basically in Southern Arizona, where it's like super dry and arid and hot. And now I live in Washington State. Which is I'm giving you all that information to tell you where I am now. Everything that I've kind of learned about this approach to (laughs) seasonal wardrobe management is what I call it. Which is like it sounds like (laughs) an entire department of like it really (laughs) dies highbrow intentionality when it comes to wardrobe. Um, So Washington State, we're talking the Pacific Northwest. It has two seasons at least. What I've gathered, and that is with climate change, you know, um, as a factor. (laughs) So we have cold and wet is one season, or the rainy season, whatever you want to call it. And then we have warmer and not as wet. So they tell you all the time, right? You probably have heard the stories like it always rains in Seattle. It's kind of true. We get like maybe three months out of the year where it's not raining doesn't mean it's going to be sunny, but I'm sharing this because it's all important when it comes to what the heck do I need access to clothing-wise, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. So the way that I approach it, and often certainly with my local clients in the Northwest, I do this twice a year. So there's two relative seasons. I do what I call my seasonal swap twice a year it doesn't fall cleanly at the six month mark on the calendar. So again, it's like, it's all about the weather and like the elements giving you these signals. So I go through literally everything that's in my current closet. And I prepare, like you were talking about, right, Amanda, to swap it out for the upcoming season. So I go through everything that's hanging up, everything that's folded and all of my shoes. Anything that's not dedicated to the current season goes into drum roll. We just talked about these air and watertight totes or bins that I, <laughs> I literally have stacked in the, like this random, I can't even call it a closet because it doesn't have a door. Um, it's just this weird space in my hallway. I have them stacked. So all of my spring and summer things are there now. My fall and winter things are accessible because it's still cold out right Mm -hmm. the idea behind seasonal wardrobe management is or the seasonal swap concept is to curate only the items you'll you'll need and wear for the current season or as we've seen in climate change whenever the weather decides to like change dramatically again
0: yeah yeah the
1: value of this is it saves you from having to like literally comb through like I'm picturing like swimwear hanging up and I know that's not like reality, but like, (laughs) can you imagine having to comb through like, you know, um, sliding the hangers back and forth and it's all swimsuits and all you need is a parka or the reverse or it's like parka after parka after parka and you just need that one bikini, right? That's nonsense. It's like it's just like scrolling. Yeah. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy and bandwidth. So, so, wait,
0: I have a question for you. Please, because like you're preaching to the choir here, right? Like I've been <laughs> doing the the pack away since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Here in Austin, this was our first. You know, we've been in Austin now officially a year, and I didn't pack away my uh, summer clothes until December. That was like a very new calendarization of my wardrobe. Wow, and I expect I'll probably. I mean, it's hard to say. Last week we had an ice storm. Today it was in the 70s. I have no idea when I'll be making the swap. But like, even though this is a place that maybe you don't think of as being like particularly seasonal in the way the Pacific Northwest or the East Coast might be, like the summer here is like 90s and 100s and the winter is like more like 50s, 60s, 70s. And that is a big wardrobe difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like you do need stuff. That all to say, when have you met clients who did not do this slash do you know people who do not do this because this is wild to me that someone wouldn't it's like makes your life so much easier and it's like kind of fun
1: yeah so to answer your question yes and I feel the same way of course I'm a professional I have to like keep my facial expressions in track and it's like it is (laughs) mind-boggling though like how much I mean, how long does it take you to get ready, right? It sounds so
0: stressful to me. It is
1: very stressful. Yeah. So why do you do this? I wonder, you know, we'll be curious, right? When the episode comes out, tell us what your approach is. Do you leave everything out on display at all times? Or do you parse it out according to season? Do you keep your winter coats out in the heat of summer? Like... Tell me, because I want to know what's going on in your brain. I also want to help you. That's why I'm telling you about this today. So why, why do we do this? Right? It's, it's the idea of getting what's not serving you immediately or like relevant or useful in the moment out of the way because it cuts down on stress when you're getting ready. It reduces decision fatigue or analysis paralysis, whatever that, you know, catchphrase de jour is. Like it <laughs> saves you time and energy. It helps you access what you need more quickly, right? And we know people have shorter attention spans now more than ever. If you have time to like doom scroll, On Facebook, I get it. Maybe you have time to comb through your parkas to get to your bikini, but I don't recommend it. Um, I mean,
0: like every time you talk about the parka and the bikini being side by side, I have so much anxiety because you know that the car, over time, the parka is going to sort of envelop the bikini and then you'll never find it.
1: It's going to disappear. Where does that bikini Uh,
0: go? (laughs) Guys, if you're listening to this and you have your swimwear and your summer rompers hanging next to your parkas, please just don't tell me I'm getting too stressed. Maybe keep that
1: to yourself. And also
0: just like (laughs) side
1: note, it is absolutely a privilege to have access to additional space. Like maybe you don't have a choice or the resources to like separate things out and do short and long-term storage. I get that. In that case, put your bikinis on one side of your closet completely opposite from your park is on the other end even if like the space is two feet wide just don't don't put them next to each other
0: or get a small box and put them on the inside that box on the floor of your closet so they're just separated because like I definitely one of the places I lived in I mean I've actually you know when you rent you don't get a lot of good closets let's be real and one of the places I lived in which was this like It was a really big studio, but it was still a studio in L.A. And the closets were horrible. Like, two of them weren't even, like, deep enough to hang hangers. Oh, no. And I had to do all kinds of crazy, just like, it was like Tetris of containers and boxes and bags and stuff to store things. And when you're talking about the bikini and the parka, I just, (laughs) it's giving me flashbacks of opening one of those doors and how things would just fall out on me, or like there was stuff that, in there that I did couldn't find until I moved. You know, so uh, that's the worst. You was like the worst. looking for
1: one thing and it's yeah, buried.
0: Yeah, it was. It was just terrible. So I think that for me, that was a really important lesson, and sort of hacking the space that I have in a much more effective way, and how it will like save me time and stress down the road, and. You know, everything that Maggie is talking about right now is worth it because life is stressful enough. And then when you can't find your swimsuit because someone asked you to go camping this weekend and you need it and you're like pulling out your hair over it, you won't have to do that anymore. You'll be like, oh, that hangs on the other side of my closet or I moved that into a box for the winter or what have you, you know?
1: Exactly. Make it easier for yourself. Like that's why we're here to help you take these small steps and actions to Like, make things easier for yourself. Help your clothing last longer. Help it, like, get more airtime, right? Because clothing doesn't have value unless it's being worn. That is
0: so true. That is so true.
1: All right. So, again, this is, like, this is me personally, but also when I work with clients, we take a similar approach. As long as, like, it resonates with them. So, like, my personal preference when I'm deciding on, what stays and what goes into seasonal storage, it kind of comes down to color and texture. So again, personal preference, everyone might be different. That's not to say you can't wear like neon colors in December and January. So bear with me here. For the <laughs> fall winter season, again, it's, it's combined because I'm in the Northwest. I like kind of rich and moody colors, like darkness and decay like everything about fall right like rusty and navy and deep greens and things like that saturated reds lots of navy blue and black it's actually my favorite wardrobe season because it comes with some really cool feelings like textures i'm pretty um sensory oriented and like sensitive skin wise to certain textures Things I love about the fall winter season that you're not going to see in spring or summer corduroy, right? Velvet, flannel, leather. Although I have heard people, heard about people wearing leather, particularly a mini skirt, the story I'm thinking about in Southern California. And I was like, leather in summertime in California? (laughs) But it's a different different climate right it's arid there yeah it's, very dry. it's totally
0: different it's, it's so like it's so different than even austin where i live where like i would never wear a leather skirt in the middle of summer here i would die because of the humidity yeah but in in la like no big deal right. we did, did it regularly yeah
1: so other fall winter textures tweed as a personal favorite wool and wool blends um it's also height season and boot season, Mm -hmm. which is like love. Um, I also like outerwear is one of my favorite garment categories of all time. So I have a a real (laughs) affinity for coats, nothing like a statement coat. Um, So that's kind of, that's what I think about when I'm deciding like, is this a fall winter piece, you know, season number one, or is it a spring summer piece season number two? Again, mm-hmm. colors and textures. For spring and summer, I prefer bright and bold colors, like the the neon that I mentioned, or even pastel, punchy kind of hues. Um mm-hmm. look, I'm a fat person too, I should say that. Like, but also human beings and like hot areas like the groin, we need breathability in summertime. <laughs> we need to be able to breathe in warm weather. So like natural fibers like Oh my God, 100% cotton, nothing beats that, right? Linens, um, mm-hmm. chambray, rayons, twill. Twill's a little lighter weight than, say, a tweed. Um, nothing synthetic or like super heavy. So the opposite of what you might find in the fall winter mix. Movement and drape for me are really key. Again, as a fat person, but also, like, if it's hot outside, I don't want anything clinging to my body. I get sweaty and, like, just feels gross on my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, this is, like, it's my professional opinion, but it's also my personal opinion that spring, summer is, like, the only time that open-toed shoes are accessible. People <laughs> might get upset with me over this. And, of course, if you're, like, in a, a tropical or a really temperate climate, like, that doesn't apply. And I'm not saying this is a steadfast rule because I've mm-hmm. seen some pretty cute styling with, like, socks and peep toes. But think about precipitation. That's all I'm going to say. Just think about that.
0: Well, I mean, I lived in Portland for a big chunk of my adult life. Right? And it's a very similar client- climate to seattle obviously and the thought of wearing like socks and sandals in the wintertime. but i'll tell you and i don't know if you see this a lot in seattle i never ceased to be amazed when i moved to portland you know coming from the east coast and also living in chicago for quite a while where the winters they really winter right they mm-hmm. go hard there were a lot of people who would wear like sandals all year like i you're walking down the street in january in portland oregon and it's raining it's like misting right and it's chilly and i'm just walking by people in flip-flops do you see this in seattle in the same way i have seen it
1: i don't know about flip-flops but like those athletic slides i see oh, a lot yeah. of those and like Birkenstocks. i'm, I'm,
0: I'm low-key jealous of those people because i just assume that they have like a higher threshold for discomfort than i do and i'm like wow you're I really guess doing like, it.
1: <laughs> if my feet get cold, it's over. Like my whole body seems chilled to the bone. So, like, yeah, the yeah. idea of sandals in wet weather, cold weather, it just oh, makes me so uncomfortable. It stresses I mean, me out. Like the parka and bikini hanging next to each other stress really you does. out. So I'm like, no, <laughs> not soggy feet, please, no. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so we know that the fashion industry wants you to believe that you need all new things. Yeah. I've talked a little bit about seasonality and how I approach that. I also want to call out that like there are plenty of garments that are like four season garments, right? Carry yeah. carry over through multiple seasons. I call them carryovers. Um actually Amanda hopefully you'll appreciate this as like a fellow nerd. I went so far as to document this in spreadsheet format.
0: Oh my God, (laughs) I love this.
1: So that I could identify like general garment categories. There are some of those that carry over. Like there are a lot of skirts that I'll wear all four seasons, right? Maybe in wintertime, I introduce tights. um, Mm -hmm. Or in summertime, maybe I wear them with sandals. But cardigans are one of those that seem like, you know they they work well in all types of weather, especially in like layering scenarios. Um, so I I shared this spreadsheet with you, Amanda, because I thought you might appreciate it. But if listeners want it, maybe we can put it in the show notes as well. Um, so we're heading into spring right now. Maybe I don't I don't know. The groundhog saw its shadow, so apparently we're gonna be <laughs> six weeks more of winter, but. When you're thinking about the new season, whatever it is, winter, spring, summer, fall, wherever you are in the world, as far mm-hmm. as like how to plan this seasonal swap process, make sure you have a couple of entry- empty laundry baskets on hand. They're kind of like tr- uh, transitional repositories, like buckets. Oh, man. That will, a laundry you know?
0: basket, I'm going to tell you, if I see one thrifting, I buy it because yeah. you don't even know how many yeah. different things you can use a laundry basket for <laughs> Yeah, not just laundry right? it's not we just laundry that. yeah yeah i use them like for example we like to do a grocery shopping at aldi it's a great thing to put all your groceries in because you know they don't bag them for you and then you don't use any bags and then it's just like one big basket of stuff mm-hmm. um also really great like when we're when i'm packing for a trip you know when i'm doing laundry and stuff prepping for the lead up to it i like it's like my staging area for my suitcase. staging
1: yes yes, yes. It helps you stay organized. It's like it is a a vessel for whatever items you're working with, like not limited to clothing. But of course, in this context, right, Um, having a couple of empty ones on hand is going to help you. Uh, Also, just to like harken back to don't freaking listen to what fashion and retail are saying. We're going to start with what you have in your closet already. It's not time to go shopping yet. We're not even thinking about shopping that might be the final step and i'll i'll share some tips about that as well um so i approach the seasonal swap kind of like i approach like a general closet purge in fact these things coincide for me personally so twice a year i'm taking a full inventory figuring out what stays and what goes for the season but also for my life and my wardrobe Mm -hmm. so it's like there are three questions that i would recommend that you ask yourself to determine what stays and what goes and this is beyond seasonality this is more about like form and function number 1 does it fit y'all this is not a trick question there are only <laughs> Even two though it
0: feels like it i That's get right.
1: it it's either yes or no and i'm saying this because it's really tough like my my clients especially struggle with this because they think about the past and what their body used to look like they think about the future and what they hope their body will one day look like at this point it doesn't matter what your body looks like it's it's your body it's the only one you've got and for this exercise it's the only one that exists so does it fit your body now it's either yes or no if it's a no put it aside i'm not saying throw it away or donate it yet just put it in a different pile Because what you want to Do is kind of centralize and yeah, like curate what's going to work for you right now for the next several months. So, does it fit? Yes or no? There is no in between. Second question is, have you worn it? This is hard because this is a
0: hard one. Yes.
1: It goes back to the soft versus hard pants conversation. We have this crazy three year period where, like, all the rules and standards go out the window, like you got your favorite PJs and hoodie or whatever, like you probably haven't worn a lot of your stuff. So I would say like in the past five years, maybe give yourself a little bit of grace. If you haven't worn it in the last five years, realistically, do you expect to wear it in the next three to six months? Probably not. Right.
0: I think that's a really good call out because a lot of our wardrobe has a lot of emotion. Yeah. And sort of like self created narrative wrapped up in it. And so you might be holding on to that thing for something you think you would like to do someday, some moment that you hope is going to happen or you've wanted to happen. You know, like I had a friend for years who had a dress. That she was planning on wearing someday when she got engaged. And I was like, wow, oh. that is some like I mean, it was an amazing vintage dress. But I was like, why, why does it have to wait until then? You know?
1: I would wear it to the grocery store. I would have been like, friend.
0: <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's yeah. go to brunch. <laughs> but I think that one is maybe like a really extreme version, but I do think yeah. that there's sort of like, oh, I bought this dress one time and it didn't fit me, but it's gonna fit someday when I do this thing, right? Or I'm saving for this for when I travel to the Caribbean on a tropical getaway, right? Someday I'm going to do that. Someday or I'm saving this for when I fall in love, or I mean, there's like a million things that end up with you having a bunch of stuff in your closet you don't actually wear, and that you're like shuffling around.
1: That's right, exactly. Like someday is not today. Twenty five yeah. years ago is not today. We're dealing with like the here and the now. Because that's all we have to work with. That's all we can, like, touch and kind of control in this moment. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the, like, meaning and narrative behind clothes that kind of leads into the the third and final question. When you're, you're vetting your garments, right? You're taking inventory. Does it resonate? Like, does it speak to you on some personal level? And I don't necessarily mean, like, Does it have sentimental value? Is it attached to a specific memory? Like, When you look at that thing on the hanger, do you see yourself in it? Does it feel like you, your style, your vibe, whatever you want to call it, right? If it doesn't, if it's like some, I don't know, trend that lasted three weeks like five years ago, still has the tag on it, you got it because it was cute and on sale, Like, does it resonate right now? Again, this is not a trick question either. It's either yes or no. And like the best advice I can give with this similar to the fit question. If there is no in between, like if it's not hell yes, like I fucking love that. I can't wait Mm -hmm. to wear it tomorrow. It's no, let it go. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's It's very hard. hard. Yes.
1: Um, I actually did an event about mindful rehoming recently and I was thinking about this term. I say with your closet purge and with this inventory exercise to be ruthless, but I actually <laughs> didn't know there was an antonym, ruthful. So, like, we're going to talk about a little bit about rehoming because we're going to make some piles. We're going to get you organized and give you an right. action plan. But, like, yeah, so be ruthless with your closet purge and your inventory. But be ruthless when it comes to deciding where those items go
0: next. I love that because I do think, you know, this exercise is very difficult. It's yeah. very difficult. Very few people are out there. Like, oh, MBD. Like, there are so many emotions wrapped up in the things in our closet right now, whether we wear them a lot or not. And I think that sometimes we're like, okay, I just went through something. By sorting this all out, yeah. the best thing I could do for myself right now is like, what's the fastest path to getting this out of my life Yeah. so that I don't have second thoughts, right? And so it's like, I'm going to immediately put this in the car and drive over to the Goodwill and dump it. And if they're closed, I don't care. I'm going to throw it in the parking lot. I've seen it happen, friends. <laughs> I've seen someone pull up, notice that the Goodwill is closed and just throw the bag on the ground and leave. Okay. It happens. Like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're right. It's an emotional experience. It's exhausting. Like one piece of advice I could give, like when you're doing this, put it on the calendar, like several weeks out and dedicate, like give yourself an afternoon, a Saturday, like half a day, whatever, but also know too, like, I don't know if you know this, Amanda, but like, I, I do this process. Like I help clients. I'm not literally holding their hand, but like, We do it together, so they don't feel so overwhelmed.
0: Right. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It is hard. Being ruthless is hard, you know, especially with your own life. Um, I think I could probably come over to someone's house and help them clean very easily, like go through their wardrobe, and I would be ruthless about it, Mm -hmm. no problem. But to go into my closet and do it, it's harder. It takes a like a higher level of like. I don't know, like emotional fortitude. Sometimes it's it's self
1: awareness too, and like not everyone is at a level where they're like, I'm so assured and confident and like laser focused. I know what's me and what's not me. There's like all this like baggage and narratives that they carry forward that maybe they've inherited from other people or like, yeah, it's a whole thing. So this is one of the services that I offer. Likewise, at the end of the process, right? I offer a hallway service. Like, let me alleviate that burden, take that off your plate, and I will do the hard work of mindful rehoming. And it is a lot of work. If you all listen to the episode, you know, it takes time, right? It takes a lot Mm -hmm. of thought and Mm -hmm. TLC, but it's worth it. We're trying to, to make these clothes last. We're trying to extend their life, trying to make sure they don't end up in the freaking garbage heap at the landfill. So that said, we're kind of getting to the home stretch here on this process. Keep it simple, right? There's three questions you ask yourself when you're deciding what to keep and what goes. We're looking at three piles. You're trying to create three piles. No more than that. No maybe pile. No I'm not sure pile. We've got a keep pile. Not everything in that keep pile fits. It's already been vetted through those initial three questions. Mm -hmm. It fits. You know you're going to wear it and it resonates. The other one of the other piles of the three is the to be donated or mindfully rehomed pile. Right. And then finally, Mm -hmm. last but not least, we've got a This stuff needs some tender love and care pile. So amending, repair, upcycle, reuse, repurpose, restyle pile. Three piles. Everything in that keep pile should absolutely fit your body right now. Again, not the body that you used to have or the one that you fantasize about having next year, next summer, whatever.
0: And it's hard. I know that that is a hard
1: It's the hardest one.
0: It's the hardest one. Yeah. And if you feel that that is difficult, that you really struggle there, know that you're not alone and that that is a very, very normal way to feel.
1: Yes, exactly. All right. Second pile, everything in that donate slash rehome pile. Before you make any decisions about like, where, where does this need to go? You might have to split this process up over several days or weeks. Like, take your time. There is no rush, right? It doesn't immediately go from like hot ass summer weather to winter weather. You have some time. This is about slowing down. So, before you make decisions about where it goes, I would say take a second look. Be creative in your thinking. Give yourself time to like, time and space to kind of. Get creative, use your imagination. Is there anything in that pile that fits, but maybe it doesn't resonate or it hasn't been worn, but possibly could be restyled in a different way or repurposed in some fashion, right? Like, this is something I see a lot. There's like a specific outfit or even a singular garment. And like, because it was displayed in such a way in the retail environment, the consumer thinks, like, This is the only context in which I can wear it. Like, oh my God. Yeah. It's it's
0: true. It's true. I think all of us have certain rules that we've created about what is worn together. And I always tell people if you're really stuck, have a friend come over and look at your clothes because. You I mean, I'm listen, I have this one shirt, I always have to wear it with this one skirt. And then the cardigan goes layered over it. And like, these are the shoes. And like, realistically, there's probably seven other things I could wear that shirt with, you know, but it's just like, that's where my brain goes. And I just keep doing it over and over again.
1: I love that you mentioned, like, invite a friend over. It's not even necessarily that you need like a personal stylist on hand to help. It's literally like a second brain, another pair of eyes Someone mm-hmm. who thinks differently than you, but also maybe knows you on some level and can be like, Hey, what about that? Just like pitching ideas, you know?
0: Um totally. Yeah. T- Sometimes you just don't you just don't see the potential in your closet. You might also think something is a pass, and they might be like, No, all you need to do here is hem this or here this is an easy fix or I know how to get that stain out or you know have you ever thought about wearing it backwards you know there's like exactly like like it's really it's really or like I've definitely had friends be like have you ever thought about getting this kind of bra I think you're gonna like this dress a lot better with that and I'm like oh my god thank you you know so anyway lots of lots of support there
1: that makes me think of one of our listeners actually um who has an Instagram account dedicated to her like restyling adventures. And you mentioned what about wearing it backwards. I immediately thought about this post she posted. Like it was like really recently where she had this sleeveless blouse that like had this really high neck in the front and it zipped in the back. And then she showed it clipped backwards. So the zipper was in the front and all of a sudden it was like a V neck It's like Ah, revolutionary, right? Like there are no rules. Get creative, like try it out. Um, All right. So we talked about the keep pile. We've talked about the donate slash rehome pile. We're going to take a second look and just like see if there is potential there for your mending and repair pile. Nobody is gonna expect that you make this pile and that you instantly dive into these projects,
0: right? <laughs> like, yeah, and I think give yourself give yourself some grace here. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. I am that person who's like, oh my god, I must do this all right now and nothing else can happen in my life until then. Yeah. And then I'm just like stressed out and I'm like, never mind, I'm not gonna repair any of this. I'm just gonna keep being a mess. You know,
1: <laughs> at, at the same time, like if you already have a mending and alterations and repair pile, like it's probably time to revisit that guy at this point.
0: Be realistic.
1: Yes. And I would say so we're doing this mid transition of a season. It's like the end of one season, the start of the next like different weather um vibe. Right. Like. Mm -hmm. So chances are, if you're dealing with like sweaters and things like that, you're not going to wear them for, I don't know, like eight months, nine months, at least six. So Mm -hmm. you got a minute, you got some time. I would say if you, if you want to take an immediate action, put it on your calendar or like an alarm in your phone for like two to three months from this moment where you're dealing with the pile. Here's your little tickler, your reminder to go, oh yeah. I should probably start taking action on those mending and repair pieces so that by the time the sweater season, sweater weather rolls around, you'll be ready, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, prioritize. Yes. Yes.
1: Triage, even, if you will.
0: Yeah. And, like, honestly, this is another moment where you need to be realistic with yourself. Yes. This I've had to have these come to Jesus talks to my, with myself where I'm like, there are 10 things in this laundry basket of things that need to be mended. Some of these, I think are a little out of my, out of my skill level, or Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have time in the next three months to do it. I know what I'm doing. Uh, I will take them. I will just be like, I'm spending the money to get them repaired professionally. Yeah. Yes. Not everybody has the privilege of being able to do that, but if you do, honestly, it's, it pays for itself. Because then you get to wear it again, right? Um, if you, you know, another option is like if you don't have the financial privilege of being able to pay someone to do it, you could possibly with a friend or a family member do a skill swap,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: maybe they can sew it up, and you can make them dinner or something. I think that if you're not great at mending and you're afraid of taking the risk, we're talking about a lot of time trying to figure it out. Yeah, that may not be realistic for you and that's okay exactly I think that like especially you know so many of us have had this pressure that we have to be able to do it all and then when we can't we feel like failures right this is not a situation for that let yourself get help seek professional assistance
1: and keeping that in mind if you are gonna enlist the help of a professional tailor or someone who specializes in garment mending like our friend Tracy on the laundry episode right like you don't want to take it to them the day before you need that garment like oh my god seriously
0: don't don't (laughs) do that I hear so many horror stories like this from our friends in the community who are menders or tailors and I am just like I'm sorry I think that's a great PSA to put out there. Yes.
1: Um, (laughs) Likewise with the, the time, like maybe you do have the skills and you have the resources. You're like, I'm a DIY champion. Like, don't wait till the last minute. Give yourself maybe even more time than you might give a professional so that there's like Time for a learning curve or like research and development if you need it, so that you're not like sweating and stressing and like, I got to get this sweater ready because tomorrow is Christmas or whatever the scenario is, right? Like, I mean, take your time, slow the fuck down.
0: I I have been this person. In fact, the night before we left for Japan, I'm tired. I'm going to have to get up at four o'clock in the morning. I was packing, you know, you know how work is always extra wild when you're about to take a few days off and there was the stress that I really wanted to alter to take on the trip and so there it is it's like 10 o'clock the night before we leave for Japan <laughs> I'm getting out my sewing machine oh, and I no. just was like Amanda no put it away this is like why do you always do this to yourself like just no. you're gonna go to bed <laughs> you know but I am that person I am like oh I have 17 things I need to like repair the buttons on before I leave town or before this holiday or what have you, like, it's not going to happen, you know, just being (laughs) realistic with yourself and saying, like, I don't really need to stay up all night trying to alter this dress when I'm half asleep. Uh, Like, just, you know,
1: I just had this flashback. It was literally like my, the night before my very first day of freshman year in high school. And I decided that I wanted to convert this pair of like, um, olive cargo pants into like a mini skirt. And, like, oh no. I mean, and it, I didn't have a sewing machine at the time. That's what makes this oh, an even sadder oh, story. But okay. I'm like, I didn't get, I didn't get a wink of fucking sleep. I had the skirt the next day and I, I want to say it was worth it, but man, I, I really should have rested and given myself a little more time on that project. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I bet <laughs> many people who are listening to this also feel Feel that, know that, <laughs> that.
1: Yes. Don't wait till the last minute. Don't you are, wait till the
0: last minute. You're yeah.
1: worth more than like you deserve better.
0: You know. Yeah, you really do. You
1: really do. <laughs> um. So that that's kind of. Yeah, I mean, not even in a nutshell. This is like pretty in the weeds, but that's like the seasonal wardrobe management process that I take. The approach that I take. I've got an article, Amanda, that I'll share with you. You can share it in the show notes if you want that like breaks out even more into detail. Um, Okay, now that we've done this, we might think about shopping, but not for the sake of shopping. We're going to be really deliberate and intentional. You've gone through this whole process of getting like intimately familiar with your wardrobe. You know what's there. So chances are if you've gone through this process, you put in the work, you also know what's missing, right? Uh-huh. So now you decide, is there anything missing, obviously missing from your functional seasonal wardrobe, right? What about your thick wool boot socks? That's some of those. Um, tank tops come to mind. Those are more like multi-season, but really take a close look at your undergarments because people forget these they deprioritize them like when is the last time you bought a new pair of underwear was it for valentine's day probably i don't know man (laughs) i haven't bought any
0: new i haven't bought any new underwear in so long like if there was you know how that's like oh you should wear nice underwear just in case you're in a car accident (laughs) guys the people in the emergency room are going to be horrified
1: (laughs) i mean same to be honest like I've got the old favorites right and they're they're still getting the job done but they're like, still
0: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah again like
1: you deserve better and it's not about me encouraging you to shop it's like I don't want to get into too much detail but like your undergarments are the foundation of your outfit they matter yeah, they're really important yeah, and if yeah. your body has changed oh my god so do yourself a favor uh-huh <laughs> look look at your undergarments Look at your layering pieces, shoes. Is anything like showing signs of wear and tear? Anything that doesn't fit anymore, or maybe something that needs to be replaced? Like you're asking yourself these questions and you're taking notes. You're like going to school and nerding out over this. This is how important mm-hmm. it is, right? To be yeah. intentional and thoughtful. Um, I like to create a wish list, which is a really common term. In my world, I call it a thrift wish list because I always prioritize secondhand. I'm, I am a nerd, y'all. So I got a template for you if you want it. It is organized according to like the garment categories, the way that they would be set up in the thrift store. So um, like... <laughs> I love
0: this. And you know what? I think this is a great tool because something that I hear, you know, and, and you and I know this, mm-hmm. some of us have been thrifting forever. We go into a thrift store, we've got the routine down, right? right. For other people, it is a very intimidating. And yeah. it's like, where do you begin? How do you plan for it? And ultimately, like, successful thrifting a sec a successful secondhand wardrobe requires this advanced planning yeah and thought because it's not as easy as going onto your computer right now adding a few things to your cart and having it all because it it happens at different times in different places you might forget it's good to know what you're keeping your eye out for what you need If there are brands that you really love because they fit you in a certain way and you want to find those again, like keep a list of those things and the sizes, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I think that organization is key and anyone who is a, a highly experienced, uh, secondhand slash thrift shopper. We'll tell you, I love when I ask people about this. I'm like, what's on your list? And they like open the notes app on their phone and they're like, well, let me tell you. Yeah, same way for me. And I just like, I love that because when you're in the moment, you might forget. Exactly. And you know, I,
1: I mentioned I do this twice a year, right? So in theory, it means you're only shopping for clothes twice a year, maybe. And that's only if you need specific things, but you're going into the shopping activity Armed with that knowledge, with that strategy, or like, this is all I need. This is it. Yeah. Anything yeah. else that's like shiny and sparkly and <laughs> Valentine's yeah. Day themed, trendy, whatever, like if it doesn't fit in this <laughs> list, is it really gonna bring value to my wardrobe? Like it might for five seconds, you know, or like you get that little dopamine hit or whatever happens when you shop. Mm-hmm. But in the long term the system works. I've been using it for, I don't know, like, probably a decade. I just didn't really know how to describe it. And I didn't take it seriously. I kind of took it for granted. But like, it's so helpful. And like I said, I've, I know every freaking piece of my wardrobe, um, which is really amazing when it comes to getting ready and
0: yeah, packing that's amazing. And
1: all those things. So that was a lot. Amanda, I can't thank you enough for, like, you know, sharing your space and, like, letting me geek out on this tonight. Thank you so much.
0: Well, I am so grateful for this, and I think it's going to be really helpful for so many listeners who, you know, they don't know where to begin. So I'm so thankful that you've shared all your expertise here. Um, Can you tell people, like, if they are interested in perhaps hiring you on for your professional services here, uh, which is, like, life-changing, I have no doubt, for all of your clients. How can they find you?
1: I think the easiest route considering this is cl- the Clothes Horse community, go ahead and look me up on Instagram at green style Mags. That's green like the color, no E, style, M-A-G-S. And if you click on the link in my bio, it's going to take you to a number of resources, some of which I mentioned tonight. But connect with me, ways to connect with me. Let's get on a Zoom call figure out like where it hurts the most. Like what's the biggest challenge for you right now? I can help Mm -hmm. you virtually. If you're local to Seattle or Portland, I can travel to you. We can make it happen. Just like know that I'm a resource here to support you. Um, There's zero sales pressure, by the way. Like I I really just want to share what I know and help make people's lives run more smoothly. But especially like help connect them in more meaningful, intentional ways to their wardrobe. So give me a holler.
0: Well, thank you so much. I'm sure you're going to hear from a lot of people because, man, clothes give us a lot of stress. Yeah,
1: it's tough. It's like emotionally charged and
0: complex
1: and different for everyone. So I'll, I'll meet you wherever you're at basically.
0: I love that. You know, I thought for a long time that I found clothing to be such a stressful thing because I had to work in the industry and be exposed to it, you know, just all day every day. Like Ugh. like it was like I was getting an allergy from overexposure, right? Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, like as I've, I don't have to worry about buying clothing all day every day for strangers, I see now how so many of the things that make clothing so stressful and yet so Addictive or so easy to overconsume all stem from how complicated clothing is in our lives. You know, it's never just clothing, it's always so much more. So, thank you, Maggie.
1: Thank you, Amanda.
0: Thanks again to Maggie for sharing so much time, so much expertise with all of us. I'm going to share all of Maggie's contact info, as I always do, in the show notes, along with a link to her essay, Where, What, When, Seasonal Wardrobe Management. If you need more help with this process, and I would not be surprised if you do because it's a lot, right? I would encourage you to hire Maggie to help and support you. friends. This is what her small business is all about. I am so grateful for all of the great inspiration and knowledge that she's sharing with us for free, but ultimately hiring her is a great idea. It's an investment in a higher quality of life, of less stress about clothing, which I know so many of you have because you send me messages about it. It also is an investment towards living a more sustainable lifestyle, feeling better about what you're wearing, maybe getting some clutter out of your life, learning how to thrift. There are so many great things that you can learn from Maggie. And no, this is not a commercial for Maggie. She did not ask me to do this. But I do think it's important to call out that many of the experts who share their time with us are also trying to make a living off of doing things the sustainable and ethical way. So go check Maggie's workout if you need just a little bit more assistance here. Okay, one last thing, as I promised at the top, let's talk about our first audio essay series of 2023. First off, if you're new around here, what is an audio essay? Well, it's a recording you make either using your phone or your computer. You email it to me at Amanda at world, and I edit it, mix it, and add it to an episode. And we are hoping, actually, when I say we, I'm not talking the royal we, I'm saying myself and Maggie, we're hoping that we get enough essays that we can actually do a whole episode where we talk about the essays and play them and share them with you. And it'll almost feel like, I don't know, NPR or something. Sounds pretty exciting, right? (laughs) So... For our first audio essay series of this year, we're going to be talking about our relationship with shopping. And I know we all have one in one way or another. As we began to talk about at the end of last year, we're practically trained to be consumers from birth. From sticker collections to toys to the commercials on Saturday morning cartoons, we have been told that new stuff equals a better life, more happiness popularity, fitting in at the very least, right? Career success. And even in the case of the romance industrial complex, it means love and appreciation. Shopping is a social activity. I have literally seen people, this is back in the era of OkCupid, listing shopping as one of their hobbies and pastimes. I have asked new people, what do you like to do for fun? And the first thing they've said to me is shopping. Not surprised because shopping is the subject of copious amounts of magazine articles, blog posts, and social media content. Is it a good movie if there isn't a shopping montage? (laughs) Okay, that's, that's not a fair question. Is it a good movie about teenagers or romantic comedy if it doesn't have a shopping montage? There you go. I think you can tell. Now where a lot of my movie viewing taste lies. Anyway, for some families like mine, shopping is the only way they can spend time together and get along. Encouraging someone to buy something is like a love language. I want to hear about your experiences with shopping and how it fits into your life. Here are some ideas of things that you can cover in your audio essay. How did shopping fit into your childhood? Was it part of your relationship with a family member? Did it change over time? Do you find yourself engaging in so-called retail therapy? Does it help? Have you found something that helps more? Or have you not? Tell us about that journey. Are you addicted to bargains and deals? Have you found a non-shopping way to scratch that itch? Or are you still working it out and need help? Does shopping make you happy, sad, angry? Why? Are there any specific shopping memories that have shaped how you approach clothing as an adult? Or maybe you have your own theme that relates to shopping that you would like to cover, and that's fine too. I wanna hear it. Write out what you want to say before you record it and try to fit it into five minutes or less. It's okay if you go a little bit over, but. I have received some 20-minute audio essays, which are a little hard for me to work with. If you want your contact info, like your name, Instagram handle, and business to be included in the episode, please tell us in the recording, as in share that information so everybody can hear it and reach out to you. If you want to be anonymous, that's fine too. It's okay if you make a mistake while recording. It happens to me all the time. Just say that part again and keep going. Don't stop and restart. I promise I can clean it up much more easily if you just keep going. Record in a quiet room away from fans, air conditioners, bus stops, and howling hound dogs. Be sure to double check your recording before sending. Yes, I have received fully silent recordings. I've also received some where the person was talking so fast that it was hard for me to follow. So just make sure that you feel like it's your best foot forward. Once again, I'm going to clean it up. I can take out ums and likes and spaces and things you've repeated or mispronounced, all that stuff. But make sure that overall, it's who you want people to know you are. When you email it to me, include your name, pronouns, and Instagram handle. That's really important to me. The deadline for this project is March 15th. Now, I know you're going to hear that and you're going to procrastinate for three weeks, but why don't you just do it now while it's fresh in your mind? Just saying. That's my advice as a lifelong procrastinator. (laughs) This is really important to me and using Clothes Horse as a platform for our community is a way we get to hear a lot of stories, a lot of voices that we normally wouldn't get to hear. In fact, sharing this platform that I have with everyone in our community is really important to me. Some of you may have noticed that I've been doing a lot more personal writing this year on Instagram and, you know, even here on the pod. That's an intentional decision on my part. Even if it is very scary to be vulnerable on social media, the post where I explained that I was non-binary, I still get some really weird messages about it, but I share my stories because I know they resonate with many of you. I have always been a big fan of memoirs and biographies, seriously, like my favorite kind of book to just sit down and devour I think that I've learned so much about what it is to be a human from reading the stories of others. And often when someone who seems completely different from me, people who have lived in different times in history or have had a very different day-to-day life than I have had, when I read those, I still find commonality with them because being a human is being a human. Many of the feelings and fears we have are almost universal. Life is complicated. It's confusing. scary. Sometimes it feels like there are more bad times than good times. These are the things that humans have in common with one another. And it's important for us to hear other people's stories to sort of control our own. As I've said many, many times before, one person cannot change the world alone, but when we all work together, real change does happen. Any major element in building community is sharing our stories. Seriously, ask any community organizer, anyone who's working in any sort of grassroots capacity, they will tell you community comes from personal stories. The personal is political. After all, we're all humans, no matter what we wear or what we like or where we live. And it is humans working together that can make the world better for future generations. It's just going to take all of us, you know, or at least most of us. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Written, researched, edited, hosted, all the things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. I'm going to be taking next week off to do a bunch of research into some scintillating topics like infomercials and television shopping networks, all part of getting to the bottom of all the ways we shop or have things sold to us, all the ways that retailers have gotten into our lives. And I love looking back at the pre-internet era where retailers really had to go hard to sell us things, right? So off next week, back the week after that. If you liked what you're hearing, you can leave a rating or even a review on Apple Podcasts. But most importantly, please tell your friends. That's that's what Close Horse is built upon, right? People telling friends and growing this community. If you'd like to support my work financially, you can learn more at patreon.com slash Podcast. I'd also just like to remind you uh, that if you can't get enough of my mesmerizing voice, or as my friend Kim calls it, my sexy baby voice, you can also listen to my other podcast, The Department, which I co-host with Kim. We talk about trends and how they affect the world around us. Fashion trends, food trends, social trends, social media trends, you name it, we talk about it. And in fact, we're in the midst of a two-parter about a trend That is half social trend, half retail trend. It's called cadulting. If you want to know more about that, you got to go check it out. I'll share the link to the department in our show notes. And you can also follow the department on Instagram at underscore the underscore department. I know rolls right off the tongue. (laughs) Um, And lastly, but not leastly, thank you to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye. (laughs)